So we're going to read a story called The Bear Under the Stairs. How many of you guys have read this story before? Anybody? Oh, awesome. All right. Well, the pictures are going to be up behind me here, so I won't have to show you the pictures, but I'm going to read the story for you, and I'll try not to spray when I talk. (laughs) William was scared of grizzly bears, and William was scared of the place under the stairs. It was all because one day he thought he saw a bear hiding there under the stairs. So he slammed the door quick, wham, bang, thump. After that, William worried about the bear. He wondered what it might eat. Yum, yum, he thought he heard the bear whisper. I'm a very hungry bear, and maybe I'll eat a boy for lunch. So William saved a pear for the bear that lived there under the stairs. And when no one was watching, William crept down the hall cracked open the door, threw the pear to the bear that lived under the stairs, and slammed the door quick. Wham, bang, thump. Now the bear's on these stairs. I know. (laughs) William had kept his eyes shut tight, so he didn't actually see the bear in its lair under the stairs, but he knew what it looked like. Mm Mm-hmm. And at night, While William dreamed, (laughs) it's a good picture by the bear, huh? So every day, William fed the bear that lived under the stairs. He fed it bananas, bacon, and bread. He fed it hazelnuts, haddock, and honey. But he always kept his eyes shut tight and slammed the door quick. Wham, bang, thump. After a while, there was a strange smell in the air near the bear under the stairs. The smell got stronger and stronger until William's mom noticed it. What's that awful smell, she said. It seems to be coming from there, under the stairs. I think I'd better take a look. No, shouted William, very scared. Don't go in there. William, what's the matter, Mom asked as she lifted him onto her lap. So William told her all about the hungry bear in its lair there under the stairs. Then William and Mom decided to scare the bear that lived under the stairs. William bravely kept his eyes wide open this time. And when they opened the door, he saw an old furry rug, a broken chair, and horrible, stinky food everywhere. (laughs) But no scary bear. So William and Mom cleaned up the mess under the stairs. Then they went shopping, and Mom bought William a little brown grizzly bear of his own. It had such a nice face that William was never scared of bears or the place under the stairs ever again. Now, I want to ask you a few questions. All right, and you need to help me out. I want to ask you, what are some kids afraid of? Maybe it's something that you're afraid of, but just raise your hand and I'll get to you. What's that? Bears. Bears. You're afraid of bears. Yeah, how about you? Spiders. Spiders. Anyone else? Spiders? Yeah. Um, the dark. The dark? Yep. How about over here? 
afraid of adults. Nothing. You're not afraid of the dark or adults? Okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure. The guest bedroom. Awesome. How about you? Spiders. Spiders, yes. Anyone else over here? Just a couple more. Snakes. Snakes. Ooh, me too. I think it's biblical. Yeah. Lightning. The Lion King? Lightning. Oh, lightning. <laughs> Sorry. Lightning. Yeah. Maybe the Lion King could be scary too. Monsters. Monsters, right, but not Monsters Inc. Okay, one more way over here. Tigers. All right. Now, sometimes when you're afraid of things, your parents will tell you things um, about, you know, how not to be afraid. What do your parents tell you when you're scared? Anybody? Go ahead. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. <laughs> Way to get straight to the point, parents. Okay. Ooh, anybody else? What do your parents tell you when you're scared or afraid? How about right here? If some little kids are afraid of monsters, the parents say that monsters aren't real. Right. They would say that monsters don't exist. We'll do just a couple more. One way back here. I'm just going to sneak in here. Go ahead. God is always with you. God is always with you. That is good. Okay, one more. What do your parents say? Go back to bed. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you. Thanks, guys, for coming. Thank you so much for coming. Appreciate it. Well done. You can just... Oh, yeah, I'll take that for you. I'm not done. Okay, you can share. Okay. Oh, yeah, please. Thank you. All right. Okay. We'll get that later. Don't worry about that. We'll, we'll get all that stuff later. Um... Go back to bed. <laughs> Made even funnier when you know that that's my daughter. <laughs> Who has discovered in my house that in the middle of the night when you come into the room, there's a compassionate side of the bed. That's my wife. If there's a go back to bed side of the bed. That's me. And it's kind of worked in my favor. We're going to take just a few minutes and we're going to talk about fear this morning because there's a lot of things that we are sometimes afraid of. And, and I saw pre-service, you know, a lot of things that uh, people were afraid of and a lot of things that kids talked about, the dark and um, flying monkeys from the Wizard of Oz, absolutely. Maybe keeping the closet door open and so you have to close that at night. Maybe if you're a student here, um, school is starting soon, and that scares you. Maybe the fact that I even mentioned the word school scares you. You know, when you go to school, will my locker open? Will I like my classes? Will I be able to eat the food? On a deeper level, will they like me? Will I be accepted there? Maybe it's getting into college. Maybe it's getting a job after college. Will I get a job after college? Will I get married? Will I have 2.5 children? Will I be successful? Maybe it is those kind of things. Maybe it's finances. Maybe failure scares you. Maybe sickness scares you. Maybe tomorrow scares you. There's a whole host of things that we can be afraid of. And, and it's okay. You know, fear is a natural and oftentimes beneficial response to impending danger that moves us to avoidance. 
right? Fear is that feeling that when the car is coming at you, you get out of the way. That's fear, and it's good. When the large dog is coming at you, you run screaming. That's fear, and that's healthy. And oftentimes, there's another way to look at it, too. Fear is when you are in the presence of something that inspires awe, something that's bigger than yourself. Maybe last night, as you were watching the lightning and listening to the thunder, there was this sense of kind of awe. And and that's what it's like when we get to stand kind of in the presence of God or see what God is doing. There's this sense of awe and reverence that happens. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians 5, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord that God brings that out of us. And there are many instances where this fear is just a natural thing. There are valid times for fear to be present in our lives. But I want to talk this morning about artificial fear or fabricated fear or false fear. I want to talk about bear under the stairs fear. Because a lot of the things that we talked about and a lot of those things that we listed have some sense of reality. You know, we're not really afraid of like mutant unicorns with machine guns. That's not like our biggest fear because you're like, there's not a whole lot of reality there. But what happens is we start to latch onto things that have some sense of reality and then we create a scenario that goes with it and we start fearing that scenario. We start fearing things that may or may not happen. And the problem is, when we begin fearing these scenarios, they begin to erode our courage. They begin to obscure our reason. They begin to leave us hesitant and helpless and hopeless. And what happens is, when we start to follow that path of fabricated or false fear, we end up making a mess. We make a mess under the stairs like that. I want to read a story in Scripture in the Old Testament. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Numbers chapter 13. It's on page 239 in the Pew Bible there. And as good as the bear under the stairs is as an illustration, we want to be grounded in Scripture this morning. And so the background of the story is this. God has miraculously led the nation of Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land. And when we hit our story this morning, they are at the edge of the promised land. They're right there. God has brought them to the doorstep of this that he has said, this is where I'm bringing you. This is a good place. That's why we call it the promised land. And God's promises are good. And so as they're at the edge, Moses is getting this kind of entrance strategy. And so he gets 12 spies, one from each of the tribes, two of whom are Joshua and Caleb, the good guys. And he sends these 12 spies into the land. And he wants them to just kind of find out certain things. Is the land good or bad? Are the people few or many? Is the soil good? Are the towns protected? Are there a lot of trees? Is there a coffee shop that we can stop at as we go into this land, right? Is there a Chipotle? Here's hoping the promised land has a Chipotle. He's having them go in. He's having them check out all of these things. And in its good, verse 23 says that they cut down a cluster of grapes so large that two of them had to carry it between them on a pole. And so when, after 40 days, the spies return, the community gathers. And you can see Moses, and he's up front with all of the leaders, and everybody is out, and they're waiting on what this report is going to be. God has brought them this far. And so we're going to pick up in verse 25. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned. 
They reported to the whole community what they had seen, and they showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed bountiful country. And you can hear the people just kind of being like, oh, yeah, good. They're coming back. They're looking up, right? They're like, look at those grapes. That's awesome. They say it's a land flowing with milk and honey, and that might not sound great to you. That might sound like breakfast to you. I don't know. But it just meant that the land was going to be good. See, God promised Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, I will take you to this promised land. It will be a land flowing with milk and honey, which means it's just going to be bountiful and your goats are going to eat a lot of grass and produce a lot of milk. And and honey literally here is just like the nectar from the fruit that's going to be there. And so the land is going to be sweet and it's going to be bountiful and you are going to grow strong there. This is a good land. And the community says, yes, good. And then we get to verse 28. But the people living there are powerful. And their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there. The Amalekites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Kaiserites. And... <laughs> I was just checking to see if you were still with me. There's no Kaiserites in the scripture. But, but all the ites are there. Right? So there's giants and there's all of these people that, and the Amalekites had already come and they had attacked the nation of Israel as they were coming to the promised land. And so they were like, oh, not good, not good. And the, so you can just, can you, can you just feel the, the rumble starting to spread through the crowd, through the community, starts to hear these things. And verse 30 says, Caleb tried to quiet the people. He, Let's go at once and take the land. We can certainly conquer it. Let's go and do this. But the fear is spreading. And it's going to the edge of the community. And the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land. They said, the land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people that we saw there were huge. And the fear starts to spread. And the murmuring starts to spread. And I don't know if it was like any rumor, like the further it got to the edges of the community, the the bigger it got. The people are 20 feet tall and they shoot fire from their eyes. They kick puppies. They're horrible, horrible people. And so the people began to murmur and, and complain. Why didn't we just die in Egypt? Why didn't we just die in the wilderness? Why did God bring us all this way? I wish we'd have died somewhere else and just maybe. Moses was thinking the same thing about them. <laughs> just maybe. Where he didn't, wa- he didn't want that rumbling, right? And then we get to verse 33. First they say all the people were huge, and then they say we even saw giants. Which sounds like the same thing. Next to them we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. And the fear starts to spread. God had brought them through so much and brought them to the very edge of the promised land. And they said, we can't go in because we, we felt like grasshoppers. And, and that's what they thought of us too. They were thinking bad things about us. I'm not going in there. They thought we were tiny. 
And we get into a whole lot of trouble when we start going down that road, when we start fabricating those fears, when we start beginning our sentences with, well, I, I feel like this is the case. Or, or they, they think that about me. Or, or what if? You know, when we begin our sentences with what if that were to happen? What if we go in there? What if they think we're tiny people? What if we go in and we just feel like grasshoppers? What if we go in and it doesn't work out? What if God brought us all this way and this is bad? We have a good friend that uh, we, we dearly love, but oftentimes we call her worst case scenario girl. Because her husband could be 10 minutes late coming home from work and she's already basically mapping out the funeral service, right? Do you know anybody like that? Kind of worst case scenario people? Maybe it's you. What if? I mean, that's why you can't ever self-diagnose a medical condition on the web, right? You just should not do that. Like, oh, your head and your stomach hurt? Let me check. Oh, yeah, smallpox. Literally this past week, I typed in on WebMD headache, and uh, I'm sad to announce I have two weeks to live. <laughs> right? What if? What if it's this? What if it's this? What if it's that? We get in trouble when we start fabricating this fear. And I'm not usually a fearful person. But as I'm tracking with this, I'm starting to ask, what's, what's my bear under the stairs? For me, what is it? What's my bear under the stairs? You know, I think one of them, there's several, one of them's my children. What if something would happen to my kids? What if it doesn't go well? What if they don't grow up this way? Remember, parents, when your kids were newborns and you should just sneak into the room to listen to make sure they were breathing? Okay, we're good. They overslept by 10 minutes. Okay, we're good. What if? Maybe it's finances for you. Maybe your bear under the stairs is just all these questions of what if I lose my job? What if we can't pay the bills? What if we can't afford to send this person to that place? Maybe it is what if I don't get a good job? Maybe it is what if they don't accept me? Maybe it is what if I get sick? Maybe it's what if they get sick? Maybe it's what if God doesn't come through for me? And we start walking down that road, and, and we know we're headed there. We know fear is starting to get a grip on us when, when we're not sleeping well at night. We know fear is starting to get a grip on us when we start replaying the same scenarios in our head over and over and over and over again. We know it's getting a grip on us when we can't see other people, when we're so just consumed with ourselves and our own situation we know it's getting a grip on us when we kind of lose common sense. I think of that driving illustration, like when somebody's driving and something bad happens and they go like this, you know, just let go of the wheel. No, hang on. <laughs> Don't let go of the wheel. Or avoidance. Or let's just call it what it is, worry. When we begin to torment ourselves with worry, with these thoughts of what if, that's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, "Don't worry about tomorrow." Jesus is saying, don't worry about that. Now, let me, let me be honest with you. Listen now. See, God does not give us grace. God does not give us peace of mind for all of the what-if scenarios that we create in our head. 
You see, when we start wandering off on these tangents about what if this could happen, what if that happened, well, maybe this would happen, then maybe that would happen, well, what if that happens? You see, God didn't give us grace and peace of mind to be in that place. And that's worry, and that's why that's a dangerous place to be. You see, God gave us peace of mind. God gives us grace. God gives us strength for where we are and what he's called us to do, not to be wandering all over on these tangents. That's why those are dangerous. I worked with a pastor in Atlanta whose house caught on fire, and he and his wife made it out safely, but it did a ton of damage to the house. And everybody was just like, oh, I'm so sorry for you. I'm so sorry for you. And I was sorry for him, too, and it made me walk around my house with a different viewpoint, like checking outlets and looking at things, and his was a dryer fire, so I'm like, okay, the dryer's good. What if, what if, what if that would happen? And as I talked to him, I was like, I'm so sorry for you. And he said, well, guess what? God's given my wife and I grace to be in this situation. He doesn't give it to people looking on the outside in. He doesn't give it to people who are creating that scenario in their head. You see, when we learn to live in the reality that we are and not go wandering off on the what ifs, God gives us strength for those times. God gives us grace for those times. But not for the false fear. You see, the nation of Israel was creating these, this is what it feels like. What if we go in there and God doesn't do it? This is what they think of us. And so they said, I'm not going in there. There's a bear under those stairs. And you know what? God showed up and he turned the entire nation around. And he said, guess what? You're going to wander in the wilderness a year for every day that the spies were in the promised land. And at this point, all the people were like, no, we're sorry. You're right. We can do it, God. And they tried to go in on their own. And they got turned around. Because of this fabricated fear. So how do we not let this paralyze us? How do we not get caught up in the what ifs? And and there really isn't a shortcut to this kind of faith. I wish there was. There's really not, like, I can't just give you, like, two points and you'd be like, okay, that's solved. But I would say this. I would say we need to be better at remembering The word I would give to you is remember. David prayed in in Psalm 137, may my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I ever forget you, Lord. He's saying, I don't want to be able to talk about other things. I don't want to be able to sing about other things. I really have nothing left to talk about if I forget about who God is. Guys, we need to be better at remembering. That's why it's all over the Old Testament. God's saying, remember, remember. And I would say this to you this morning. Remember who you are. Romans chapter 8. You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful children. Right? You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And so now we call him Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit and affirms that we are his children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. Together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. You are Through faith, a child of God, you get to share in the glory of God. You get to share in the inheritance of Jesus. That's who you are. And I know that that doesn't always sink in, but 
a child of the living God. And yes, there's going to be some suffering. He says, you'll share in all this great stuff. For a little while, you'll share in the suffering, but you'll have peace of mind in knowing that this life is just the title page of the life that's to come, of the never-ending story that God has planned for us. And so we need to remember whose child are we. Remember who you are and remember who is going with you. You see, God didn't just get with the nation of Israel and he was like, okay, watch this. I'm going to send a bunch of plagues here. None of it's going to touch you. As a matter of fact, when these people that have been holding you captive release you, they're not just going to release you. They're going to give you tons of stuff. It's going to be awesome. Watch this. So he let it happen. So he leads them out. They come to the Red Sea. God's like, watch this. You're going to walk on dry. They're going to drown. They get into the wilderness. God's like, you're thirsty? Watch this. Water from a rock. You're hungry? Watch this. Food all over the ground. The Amalekites are attacking you? Watch this. Incredible victory. And then they get to the edge of the promised land, and God's like, okay, my work here's done. Have fun. I got other things to do right now. I'm busy. I got a lot of things happening. God didn't just bring them to the edge of the promised land to be like, okay, I'm your God. I'll be with you until we get right here, and then we're done. As a matter of fact, a few chapters earlier, in Numbers chapter 10, he says, I want you to make some trumpets. And when you blow these trumpets, it's going to be a reminder. Listen to what he says. When you arrive in this land, and when you go to war against your enemies who attack you, sound the alarm with the trumpets, then the Lord your God will remember you and rescue you from your enemies. God's saying this, blow the trumpets just as this reminder to you that I am not going to forget you, that I will remember you, that I will deliver you. And they got there, and they were like, oh, that's not going to happen. And they got turned around in the wilderness. And I think it's so interesting that later on in the story of the nation, when they finally got to the promised land, and in chapter 6 of the book of Joshua, when they got to Jericho, and the horns were sounded, And God delivered them in an amazing way. You see, God remembered and God delivered. Remember who is going with you because the deep level of this fear, right? The deep level is this, what if God forgets me? What if God doesn't come through for me? What if God isn't trustworthy? What if God isn't walking with me? God told Joshua, be strong and courageous. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I love in the bear under the stairs, the, when the mom grabs William by the hand and they face it together. And William faces it with his eyes open because he knows he's with somebody bigger that can handle the situation. And they walk in and they take care of it. Jesus says in Matthew 28, I am with you always. Remember who you are. And remember who is going with you. Because God has big things for you. God has promises for your life. God is bringing you into things and you can't afford to stop and be like, well, what if, what if, what if, and create these scenarios that keep you from God's promises. So let me ask you a question. What is your bear under the stairs? What is it for you? Maybe this phrase creeps into our vocabulary just a little bit. What's your bear under the stairs? What's that thing that keeps you from the promises of God? Kids, ask your parents after church, what's your bear under the stairs? 
Ask your spouse, parents, ask your kids. Have this conversation. Talk about some of these what-if scenarios because we can't afford to have our courage eroded. We can't afford to have our faith hindered. We can't afford to be hesitant and helpless and hopeless because God is calling us into his promises. Remember who you are. Remember who is going with you. Deuteronomy chapter 4 says, so remember this and keep it firmly in mind. The Lord is God both in heaven and on earth. There is no other. And he walks with you. 